take your Bibles out and turn with me this morning, if you would please, to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, I want to bring uh, an end of the year message entitled, Give an Account of Yourself. Give an Account of Yourself. Luke chapter 16, we'll begin reading in verse 1 and uh, continuing down through about verse 13. Looking at a parable this morning at what scholars call probably the most difficult and complicated uh, parable of all the parables uh, to study and to interpret and apply. Beginning there in verse 1, Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master has taken the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe the master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Father, I would pray this morning that you would open our eyes and ears to the message of your word. Lord, give us attentive minds and hearts and a willing spirit to obey. God, open our understanding. Lord, we thank you so much for calling us into fellowship with yourself through faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we understand today as a church body the great responsibility that that entails. Lord, as we look back on one year and look ahead to another, may we realize that we are going to one day have to give an account of ourselves. Lord, I, I pray that we would make whatever changes need to be made so that we would all be found faithful. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The date was December the 26th, 1869. 
December 26, 1869. Charles Haddon Spurgeon stepped to the pulpit of the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church in London. It was obviously the last Sunday of the year. Now, for those unacquainted with Charles Spurgeon, let me just say a moment about him. He is, without a doubt, the most famous preacher that the Baptist world has ever produced. He was an avid, cigar-smoking, Calvinistic Baptist pastor. Loved his cigars. One listener said that Spurgeon, as we would go and listen to Spurgeon preach, he would literally hold us spellbound with every word for a span of about two hours. Soon his congregation outgrew the New Park Street Chapel in London. They began meeting in other places like the Surrey Music Hall. 10,000 people would regularly come to hear him. On some occasions, they would meet at a cathedral in town and they would pack it out with almost 24,000 people. Now, folks, what's even more remarkable about that, I want you to understand, those were the days before amplification systems. The Metropolitan Tabernacle was built seating 5,000 people with another 1,000 for standing room only. And all throughout the week, multiple services, each service would be packed out. All of this was virtually unheard of in the mid-19th century. Stenographers would be present for his messages and they would copy 25,000 copies a week of his sermons to be widely distributed around the world. Now on this date, December 26, 1869, the last Sunday evening of the year, his text was the text that we've just read this morning. And he only concentrated on one verse, the verse uh, that's verse 2, where it says, Give an account of your stewardship, for you may no longer be steward. I want you to listen to the way he begins. And I quote, The first part of this text applies to us all, he says. The second part will apply to each one of us before long. Give an account of your stewardship is a command that may be addressed to the ungodly. They are accountable to God for all that they have or ever had or ever shall have. The law of the Lord is not relaxed because they have sinned. They still remain responsible to God even though they attempt to cast off the yoke of the Almighty. As creatures formed by the divine hand and sustained by divine power, they are bound to serve God. And if they do not and will not, his claims upon them do not cease. And to each of them, he says, give an account of your stewardship. This text may also be applied to the children of God, to the godly in a different sense, however, and after another fashion. For first of all, the godly are God's children. They are accounted as standing in Christ. They are no longer merely God's subjects for what they owe to God as sinners has all been discharged by Jesus Christ, their substitute and Savior. They have therefore been placed on a different footing from other men, but having been saved by grace and adopted in God's family, 
they have had entrusted to them talents which they are to use to his honor and glory. Being the Lord's children and being saved, they become his servants. And as his servants, they are under responsibility to God and they will all have to give to him an account of their stewardship. Spurgeon continues. Look at Eli. I have no doubt that Eli was a saved man, but God made him a steward over his own family as well as a prophet to Israel, and he had to give an account of his stewardship. And because he had not been found faithful in it, although he was not eternally condemned, yet he was made to suffer most miserably when he was told that the whole of his house would be swept away. And also when he heard of the deaths of his sons and as the direst news of all learned that the ark of God was taken by the Philistines, God visited him in his capacity of steward, made him give his account and awarded him in this life a heavy penalty for his unfaithfulness. And I do not doubt that many a child of God who has been saved at the last yet being found unfaithful as a steward has had to suffer much, has lost much of honor and much of fellowship with God and much of high advancement in the way of grace which he might otherwise have obtained. David was another such steward. He was not a lost soul. I have no doubt that he's among the saved and blessed saints in heaven. But as a steward, David, Likewise was not found faithful. You remember how grievously he sinned from that moment his family and from that moment his family was full of rebellion. His kingdom was full of trouble and he went with broken bones all the way down to his grave. Hence I may say to you children of God who are not under the law and I do not address you at all in a legal strain which I so speak to you, you also have a stewardship. Give an account of it or else perhaps you may no longer be spared. Or being spared. Yet you may still have tokens of your Lord's displeasure which you may carry with you even to your tomb. Thank God you will leave them there but it would have been more for God's glory and for your own comfort to not have them at all. I desire on this last Sabbath evening of another year not so much to speak to you as to get you to speak to yourselves. And so first we will think together upon the reasonable demand made in our text. Give an account of your stewardship. Next we will examine some reasons why we should at once give an account of our stewardship. And lastly we will consider the weighty reason in the text which will come with force to each of us sooner or later. You may no longer be steward. Well, enough of Spurgeon for the day. I seriously doubt you want me to take the next hour and 50 minutes to finish his sermon. Now, folks, obviously, as we look at our text for today, we see in our text, that stewardship is something that every child of God always needs to give attention to. It's always a matter for our consideration. Some years ago I told you a humorous story that shows how we treat the very lives that God has given to us. 
According to a January 15, 1989 article in the Lexington Herald, the family living in a home in West Palm Beach, Florida, told a film crew that it was okay to use the front yard as a set for an episode of the B.L. Stryker television series. They knew that cars would be crashing violently in the front yard of the house, that explosions would be taking place all around all sides of the house, and a great amount of damage could end up being done to the property. While the front yard was being blown up, a frantic call came in from New York City. The voice on the other end of the line, hundreds of miles away, had been tipped off to what was happening down in Florida. Who was the caller, you ask? The caller was the owner of the property. You see, those who were living in the property were only renters. They were only tenants, and they had no right to allow the property to be destroyed as the cameras rolled. Folks, many times we live our lives under the mistaken impression that our life belongs to ourselves. But we need to be reminded what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you who you have from God? You're not your own. You have been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We've got to live as those who know that God is going to call us to account one day for how we have lived the lives that he's entrusted to us. And that's what this parable is all about. Jesus tells his disciples a story about money and a story about the use of money. But I want us to understand this morning it's not simply a story about money. You see, he's only using money as an illustration or an analogy for all of life. How do we treat all of our lives? What are we doing with our lives? How are we using our lives to glorify God? Are we selfishly squandering our lives and our resources away? And so again, it's simply a parable that illustrates to each and every one of us that there is coming that day, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, where we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we may give an account of our lives. We all have that appointment with God one day. And so what are some lessons we learn from this parable? I want to focus everything around just three words, faithful, prepared, and wise. I want you to see, first of all, that a disciple of Jesus must be faithful. Read with me again verses 1 and 2. He said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions and he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. We're told about a rich man here who had a steward. Now the word for steward is a compound word, one of them meaning house and the other manager. And so a steward was literally a house manager. 
Now, this was a common practice in ancient times. The, the wealthy would have stewards. They would have house managers. And the purpose was if you were wealthy and you wanted to travel the world and you wanted to enjoy all the good things about life and maybe pursue a hobby or just whatever you wanted to do and you could leave everything about your estate in the, in, in the hands of somebody else and, and they would take care of all of the mundane details of your daily life. So the wealthy had those. And the stewards basically had power of attorney over everything that their master owned. Now folks, this is a picture of every person on planet earth. We, we need to understand that we are owners of nothing and we are stewards of everything. Do we realize that? The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And there is nothing you have, there is nothing that I have good in our lives that hasn't come to us as a gift from God. It all belongs to God and it is all to be used for God's glory. You and I are simply stewards. We're managers. We're not owners. I want you to think of some of the things that we are stewards over and I want you to think of your life this past year and as you reflect on uh, your life this year. First of all, we know that we are stewards over our time. And we need to be found faithful with our time. As Spurgeon said later in that sermon, he said, Do the people of God realize that for every single hour of your life that God has given to you, you're one day going to have to give an account of God for how you use that hour? What are we doing with our time? What are you doing with your time? Most people in the world just get up, they get their breakfast, they go off to school or work, they just in frivolous carelessness live their lives each day treading water, not really thinking about what they're trading an hour of their lives for. Folks, how many times have we been guilty of that? We would get to the end of a day and if we were honest with ourselves, you and I would have to look back over the course of many of our days and say, God, I'm sorry because I have done nothing of redeeming quality this day for your kingdom's sake. We've lived for the world, the things of the world. Live for ourselves, our hobbies, our own priorities and desires. And yet the Bible says in Ephesians 5 that we need to redeem the time and make the most of our opportunities because the days are evil. Nobody has to tell you and me that the days are evil. We read the headlines every day. And the Bible says for a believer, we're to buy back some of that time for God's purposes. We're to redeem the time. We're to make the most of our opportunities because the days are evil. And there's a limited amount of time each one of us has on the face of this earth to do what God has called us to do. What's God called you to do? How are you using your time to further that? Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 that it is high time that we wake up and realize that we have spent enough years in the past living as pagans live. And now that we're children of God, 
We need to live as children of God. I want you to think this morning about your time. Think about wasted time. What are you doing with the time that God has given you? What if you took all the wasted time of your life and did something productive with it? Some of you could earn another degree. Some of you could learn to share your faith. Some of you could visit with those in hospitals and nursing homes. Some of you could start a ministry that would not only be a blessing to this church body, but who knows, you might start the next ministry that ends up touching the very world. What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your time for the glory of God? What are you doing with your time to be a good steward of every minute of the day that God has given you? Not only called to be faithful with our time and to be a good steward of that, but we're also to be stewards with our spiritual gifts. If you're a child of God, you have at least one spiritual gift. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's buried grace. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that each one of us has a spiritual gift that is given to us by God. God determines what your gift is. You don't, I don't. God does. And God gives gifts to different members of the body as as he determines he wants that body to be able to function. He puts all the members together. Some of the parts of the body seem like they have more honor than others, but Paul makes the point even those gifts without honor sometimes end up having the most honor, the most functionality in that body. And all of the parts of the body put together help that local assembly to function in the world as Christ has determined us to function. And so we're to use our spiritual gifts, not for ourselves but for the good of others. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Are you developing that gift? Are you using that gift for the glory of God? You and I are going to be accountable one day. The Stradivari Society of Chicago performs a very important role in the music world. You see, the society entrusts expensive violins into the hands of world-class violin players who could never afford on their own those instruments. Top-flight violins made by 17th and 18th century masters like Antonio Stradivari produce an unparalleled sound and now sell for millions of dollars apiece. But as one uh, music critic writes, great violins are not like great works of art. They're never meant to be hung on a wall or locked up under glass. Any instrument will lose its tone if it isn't played regularly. Conversely, an instrument gains in value the more it is used. And so it is that those who own the world's greatest violins are looking for first-rate violin players to use them. The Stradivari Society brings them together, making sure that the instruments are preserved and cared for. Like the Stradivari Society, God also entrusts exquisite violins into the care of others. 
He gives us spiritual gifts of great value which remains which remain his property. But we use them. And the more we use the gifts God's given to us, the more they grow in value both to God and to those around us. Are you faithful with your gifts? Not only your time, but your gifts, your spiritual gifts. Thirdly, we're stewards with the gospel. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Folks, I want you to think about this for a minute. Think about this message from God that we've been entrusted with. The glorious gospel. The saving grace of God shown to us through Jesus Christ, His Son. We've just celebrated His incarnation here at Christmas. That God didn't leave us in our sin. God didn't leave us in our darkness. He came to us. He sent His Son who would go to the cross and die for us on the cross that we might be reconciled to a holy God. And you and I have been entrusted with that glorious gospel. What are we doing with it? What are you doing with it? What am I doing with it? Do you regularly pray for the lost? Is there anybody lost right now you're praying for? Anybody right now you're sharing the gospel with? You and I are stewards of the gospel. What are we doing with the gospel? What are you doing with the gospel? And what am I doing with the gospel? Because after all, who's the church? We are. Stewards of the gospel. We're stewards with our finances. Jesus said, do not store up your treasure on earth. We're stewards of each and every dollar that God has placed into our hands. We think sometimes that only the rich need to be concerned with this, but stewardship is a matter of what you do with however much you have to possess. Folks, it's just as important what a man does with $100 in his pocket as what another man does with a million dollars in his bank account. We're all the time thinking, oh, what I could do if I only had a million dollars. You know what you and I would do if we had a million dollars? We would do what we're doing with the hundred dollars that we do have. That's the principle that Jesus gave. Jesus gave that very principle as the reason why God doesn't entrust more people with more because they're not even being faithful with what they've been given. I think that's why you read these stories about those who win millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in the lottery and, and, and TV crews go and reporters go and find them two, three years later and, and they say, you know what? Winning that lottery was the single worst thing that ever happened to me in my life or to my family. You know why I think that's the case? Because they probably weren't faithful to begin with with what they did have. And so when they had a landslide of wealth, it ruined them and it ruined their families. Read sometime of all the divorces and broken families and suicides and depression of those who win the lottery. Second thing I want you to see, a disciple of Jesus Christ must be prepared. Verse 2 says, he called, he called him and said to him, that is the master called 
the steward and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. We're accountable. The steward has to face the master. The master portrayed here is a real person. Folks, despite what people think, God is real. And again, you and I are going to have to face him one day. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This steward had to face his master. When the master learns about his dishonesty, he calls the steward in. He demands an audit and he fires him. With every responsibility and every privilege, with every privilege, I should say, comes responsibility. The truth of the matter is that if an audit were done right now on some of our lives, many of us would be found guilty of spiritual embezzlement. Spiritual embezzlement. Some have the gift to sing or to make music, but you don't. You're squandering that away. You don't use your gift or your voice or your musical abilities for the glory of God. Some of you have spare time on your hands that you could give to the work of God and the advancement of His kingdom, but you waste that time. You're wasting your life on things that will not matter one iota in light of eternity. Some of you may be robbing God of your treasure, your money. God's blessed you with so much, yet you don't give. This parable of Jesus warns us to be forewarned. Do we think there is not coming a day of reckoning? The Bible says one of these days... The lost man is going to stand before God. He's going to stand before God at that great white throne judgment and he is going to hear those words, Depart from me, I never knew you. A testimony ultimately to a squandered life. Even the saved man will stand before the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. Again, that's what Paul's referring to in 2 Corinthians 5. He's writing to Christians saying, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that we'll give an account of ourselves, what we've done while in the body, whether good or bad. No fear of condemnation. Romans 8.1 says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But folks, do we realize, as Paul said to first, uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, that some people's lives are going to, he says, you're going to be saved as, uh, though as by fire, but, but everything in your life is going to be like wood, hay, and stubble burned up. Nothing to show in your life. No work for Christ. Jesus is saying every person needs to be prepared for the fact that there is a time of accountability coming and God keeps perfect records. Thirdly, a disciple of Jesus Christ must be wise and that's what he begins talking about in verse 3. 
We're admonished to be wise. Look at what the dishonest steward does. He summons each of his master's debtors and he finds out how much they still owe. Now I want you to notice the first one, it turns out that he still owes a hundred measures of oil. Now a hundred measures of oil was a huge amount of olive oil. It was equivalent to about 875 gallons of precious olive oil. It said that it, it would be what 150 tree, 150 olive trees in a healthy grove would produce. So this is a big olive, olive tree operation. 875 gallons. And, and, and he says, how much do you owe? 100 measures. Sit down quickly and write 50 measures out to my master. And he does so. Calls the next guy. Next guy owes a hundred measures of wheat again. Huge amount. He reduces it to 80. Now the interest on borrowed oil was 100% and the interest on borrowed wheat was 25%. And so the steward in essence transforms these into interest-free loans. Now what effect would that have? Well, the debtors would have been obviously thrilled. This steward, this manager just made instant friends with all the debtors of his master. You see, now they're not just indebted to the master, but they're now also indebted to the manager. While the boss was going to be taking his paycheck out of one pocket, this guy's putting IOUs into his other pocket. But there's another twist in the story as well that commentators talk about. You see, it was against Jewish law for a Jew to charge interest to another Jew. And so now he's made an honest man and a hero out of his master. His master can't be angry at simply reducing the loans to what they should have been done uh, should have been done in the first place without any interest because if the master were to get angry about that all the manager's got to do now is tell everybody in the world around him the interest rates that his master a Jew was going to charge to other Jews against the law. And so now he's made his master look good. So now all over town, both the master and the steward, both are heroes. Now I want you to notice verse 8. The master praises the unrighteous steward. Now that's a twist in the parable nobody would have expected. We see here that the Lord is commending this dishonest steward. Now folks, I want you to realize something about this. The steward is a crook. In the beginning of the story, he is a crook in the middle of the story, and he is a crook at the end of the story. And yet Jesus commends him. But he's not commending his crookedness. He's not commending his dishonesty. What he is commending is the fact that this guy has acted shrewdly. That's all he's commending. 
He makes a slick move to prepare for his future, and that's the key. He acts with wisdom and discernment, and that's the lesson in the parable, that the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own than are the sons of light. People in the world know how to survive. When it comes to business, people in the world know how to they know how to plan. They know how to advertise. They know how to turn a deal. They know how to make a sale. They know how to invest in the future. But so many don't invest for the future, spiritually speaking. They're wasting their lives away. They're squandering away their resources, not planning for their spiritual future. Many churches don't plan for their future. You walk into the typical business, they've got it down. Then you pull up to a church on Sunday and you pull into a parking lot, grass and weeds are growing up through the pavement and the grass looks like it's not been cut uh, in a month. You walk in a Sunday school room and it doesn't look like it's been cared for or painted in the past 50 years in some places. That's why I'm so grateful for those around here who take care of all those matters and do such a great job at that. Things like this matter. Craig Blomberg, one of the scholars on the parables, he talks about how churches need to be more shrewd while being innocent. We need to be shrewd in making sure our governing documents are legal and well thought out. That, that we're not leaving ourselves open to someone without scruples cleaning our clocks. He says we need to be shrewd as to who oversees certain committees and how those committees are run. He talks about how business people will run a business committee to the very highest of standards and then be sloppy and careless in how they run a church committee. He talks about how a public school teacher might spend hours planning her lesson for her classroom. And then give 10 or 15 minutes quickly on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning to her Sunday school lesson. How careful and shrewd we can be with things in the world and how careless we can be and thoughtless we can be with the things of God. Then Jesus tells us beginning in verse 9 how we can be wise. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Have you ever heard the saying, you can't take it with you? Well, somebody's added to that. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on up ahead. Jesus is saying, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now the way to invest in heaven is by investing in what's going to heaven. What's going to heaven? The souls of men and women. So much of this stuff that we fret over in the world, so much of this stuff we worry over in the world, these things we own, are, are, are those the things going to heaven? No, we pour so much time and attention into our possessions and we give so little time and attention often to, to the souls of men and women and boys and girls. We've got it backwards. Jesus is simply saying here, have treasure on the other side. Take your time, your talents, your gifts, your money. Be rich toward God. 
He's saying put your money to uses that will result in people going to heaven. G. Campbell Morgan, another famous preacher of the past, told of being in a home one time of a very wealthy man in his congregation. And, and, and this man, he, he set, set them all down to this big, huge spread and he, and he wanted to have the blessing before the meal. And this rich man began praying. And at the end of his prayer, he was praying for God to, to, to bless the church, build churches, send more missionaries. He got done with his prayer and his son said, Dad, no disrespect intended, but if I had your bank account, I could sit down right now with one check and answer every prayer that you just prayed. Spend your resources and live your life in such a way that when you get to heaven, there are other people over there on the other side saying, Thank you for giving to the Lord. I was a life that was changed. Then in verse 10, look at what Jesus has to say. It's a parallelism being used here. What is least in verse 10 is equivalent to the unrighteous mammon in verse 11. What is much in verse 10 is equivalent to the true riches in verse 11. You see, the, the, the least things to God are financial matters. The most things to God are spiritual matters. But God is able to judge what we do with unseen spiritual matters by what we do first with seen material matters. Money's nothing to God. He owns it all. But if he sees we're not investing in the kingdom of God with our finances, he certainly can entrust us with true riches. Dr. Kent Hughes tells the story of a preacher visiting with a farmer one day. It illustrates how we all dream, we all dream about what we would do if I only had this or I only had that. Oh, what I could do. Oh, what I could do if I only had this or that. And we fail to see what we're doing, what we're doing with what we do have. Preacher goes to see the farmer. Farmer, let me ask you a question. Okay, ask away. If you had a thousand acres, would you devote a hundred of them to the Lord? Sure I would, preacher. Sure I would. If you had 10,000 chickens, would you devote 1,000 of them to the Lord? Absolutely, no question. You don't even need to ask that. If you had 1,000 head of cattle, would you devote 100 of them to the Lord? Preacher, you're being silly. You know I would. Okay, farmer, I've got one more question for you. Okay? If you had a hundred pigs, would you give ten of them to the Lord? Now, hang on a minute, preacher. That's enough. You've gone too far now. Why have I gone too far? Because you know that I do indeed own a hundred pigs. Easy to think about what we would do if we had something and we don't see what we're doing or not doing with what we do have.
give an account of your stewardship. Each one of us in here this morning, as a finger points at you, three are pointing back at me. Give an account of your stewardship. Your time, your talents, your resources, your gifts, the gospel. Think back on 2015. Have you invested in God's kingdom work? Have you lost yourself in God's kingdom work? Or are you spinning your wheels in your own kingdom work? Give an account of your stewardship. What if God called you this morning to give an account? Would God perhaps say, give an account because you can no longer be steward or would he say well done good and faithful servant I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer with me this morning think about your own life right now one of these days I know it seems far off I know it seems Almost unreal, but one of these days, there you will be, there I will be, standing before God's throne. For some of us this year, it may happen sooner than we realize. There you are, standing before God's throne. not trying to scare anybody just just a reality that the Bible talks about when you're called to give an account of your life will your story be one of rejoicing or will it only be a sad commentary on what could have been will your life be a life that was wasted I want to challenge you today. Be faithful with your life. Be faithful with the things of God. Are you prepared? Most important stewardship of all is your soul because your soul is going to live somewhere for all of eternity. Are you prepared to meet God as the prophet Amos said in the Old Testament? Prepare to meet God. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to somebody in here this morning because you know you're not prepared. You know you've never been saved. And yet the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you and convicting you of your sin in need of a Savior. Why don't you step forward this morning and come to the front. Myself, I'll be down front. The Kevins can be down front to pray with you if I'm tied up. We'd love to share Christ with you and what the Bible says about being saved. Live wisely. Don't be wise to the things of the world and yet negligent to the things of God. Lord, we thank you for these stern words by the Lord Jesus. Hard-hitting words. 
words, but honest words. Words that call for introspection and an honest evaluation. Words that invite us to make that evaluation now before it's too late. Lord, use these words to accomplish your purposes today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.